The advice and opinions expressed by the hosts of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Dr. Doreen Grandpichet. Dr. Doreen Grandpichet is a visionary in the field of autism. Now you can ask her questions on Ask Dr. Doreen. Good morning and welcome to Autism Live and to Ask Dr. Doreen. I'm Shannon Penrod and you can see that we have the fabulous, the wonderful Dr. Doreen Grampiche here with us this morning for Ask Dr. Doreen. Good morning, Dr. Grampiche. Good morning, Shannon. Good morning, everyone. We're so excited to have you here this morning. We're going to get started with questions that you guys write in. You can write them in live. We have a couple of starter questions, but excited to hear from you guys what you would like Dr. Grampichet to answer. For those of you who don't know Dr. Grampichet, she's a true expert in the field of autism. Having worked in this field for more than 40 years, it's some crazy, crazy number like that, um, and has worked with a wide variety of individuals on the spectrum, those very young, from babies up through senior citizens. And I just am so excited that we have this opportunity for you guys to take a tour of her brilliant mind and ask her questions. We are live on several different platforms. We're live on YouTube, on Twitter, on Facebook, and on our homepage, autism-live.com. Supposedly, we are live this morning. Let's see if that's true. Uh, but we're also live in a, a variety of other places as well. I will tell you that during the live show, the easiest way to get your questions answered is if you write directly in on Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter. I can see those instantly, and they sort of get higher priority as the hour goes on. If you want to be one of the top questions at the very top of the show, please, on our chat on autism-live.com, that's where I get our starter questions from. Uh, or if people email me at s.penrod at autism-live.com. Let me also say that this show will be available in podcast probably by the end of today, all over the place, wherever you get your podcasts. It's a free download. We are the number one rated autism podcast in the world. Thanks to all of you because you've liked, you've shared, you've reviewed, you've referred, you've done all of, and you've viewed uh, so we love that. If you're watching us on YouTube, please ring the little bell so that it'll notify you when we are live. There's the little bell symbol at the top. Hit that bell. Uh, we love it when you do that. Uh, and please on Facebook, let people know if you, we don't spend dollars on t telling people where we are. We count on you guys to do that for us. We hope that you will, if you find something here you like, that you'll let somebody else know about that. We've already got people who are writing in, and I, I appreciate that. We're going to get to that in just a second. Let me say, though, that uh, Dr. Grampiche is here, and as I said, she's an expert, but there is no expert in any field that can give individual specific advice in this format. Let's be clear about that. What you can do is write in, tell us about your situation or the situation of someone that you love, and you can ask as many questions and be as specific as you possibly can. Dr. Grampiche does not have eyes on the situation, so she may ask you more questions. Um, but then she will let you know um, what she knows about that topic. It is your responsibility to go back to the expert in your area to have eyes on the situation. So does that about cover it, Dr. Grampiche? Is that oh, about fair? That's great. Uh, Thank you. Okay. All right. Uh, I really want to get started with this question. One of our viewers wrote in and said, I need help from Dr. Doreen Pronto. Okay. Uh, so that, that caught my attention. They said, my vacation got postponed due to a family member testing positive for COVID. 
He is quarantining out of state for 10 days. I went into complete meltdown. And this is somebody who has identified themselves as having an official diagnosis of autism spectrum disorder before. They said, I went into complete meltdown and had to take two doses of my anti-anxiety drug. I'm holding a grudge against that relative right now. He doesn't wear masks. He didn't get his COVID shot. And I think he got COVID that way. Please help me so that uh, so that that relative uh, and, and they want us to know that that relative is not on the spectrum, but please help because especially they, they say my mom needs this help because they're not letting go of it. Yeah. Uh, I want to hug this person because I think there's a lot of this going on where people are mad at each other for various and sundry reasons right now having to do with COVID. Um, but this really brings it home. It's it's wrecking everybody's day. Yeah, it really does. And I'm, I'm thankful that you wrote in about this because, and Shannon, it's funny, you just used two words at the very end of your description there that is the solution to not just this situation, but so many, so many situations that cause us stress, anxiety, and depression, which is let go. That is, that is the key to this whole thing. You know, it's, it's very hard for sometimes for us to take anybody else's perspective. And so that makes it almost, uh, you know, even more stressful because we only see things from our own perspective, but everybody has a different reason, different perspective, different logic, different way they grew up, different influences on their thinking, um, different people around them. And so this relative that you're referring to um, has other reasons that are very hard for some of us to understand, but nevertheless, they have their own reasons. Now, um, it is a very unfortunate thing because COVID, of course, is, you know, it's a, it's a contagious gift, right? It's, it doesn't just influence the one person's life. It influences, it affects so many other people in so many different ways. Um, I completely understand where you're coming from. Uh, I, last year in December, when we were still very much in COVID, uh, my 90 year old mother uh, contracted COVID from the lady that would come to her house to help her bathe. So a caretaker, a caregiver. Um, and she's 90 years old, and, and this is before the vaccines were available. So, you know, I completely understand. I was very angry. You go through a lot of different emotions. Uh, I was angry. I was bitter about it. I was holding on to it. I, um, I couldn't understand it. When my mother ended up spending, uh, I think, 11 days in intensive care unit because of that. Uh, thank God, fortunately, she actually survived, uh, but she never went back to the way she was before. She never fully recovered. Um, I think, uh, and as I've told you, Shannon, she aged probably 10 years in that one week that she was in the hospital. So in that 10 days or 11 days. So I would say that I understand your anger, but the truth is we cannot control things that go around, go on around us in the world. And sometimes the best solution for your own health is just letting go. And uh, letting go means allowing the world and the universe to go about its business. And everything that happens to us ultimately teaches us something. I always say that uh, things that are very difficult usually are the ones that teach us the most. When things are easy and we're having a great time, we're not really learning a whole bunch about life or, you know, becoming stronger, wiser individuals. When things are difficult, usually um, either we have a full meltdown and reject the lesson or we learn and become wiser and stronger and, and uh, have better perspective and so on. So my best advice to you is to try to uh, let go. And the way to do that is just to remember that others have different things that influence them. 
So, you know, this relative uh, may have been surrounded by news that made them feel afraid to be vaccinated. Um, they may have seen their friends get vaccinated and have a negative reaction. Uh, they may have thought they may not know enough about uh, COVID and think that it was uh, it's not that serious. Uh, they, they there's a million reasons. They in fact you know I Sharon as you know I live by coastal right so I live on the west coast and the east coast and there's a huge difference when I go down to Florida because. Uh, people in Florida actually kind of mock you if you fear COVID and if you think that it is something to wear a mask and, you know, that you need to protect yourself. And there's there's sort of an attitude of, of like, oh, come on, don't be silly. So it's okay. That's their choice and that's the way they behave and so on. And that's fine. But you know, we have to realize that this is an issue that people have a lot of different thoughts about, and we have to be respectful of each other's thoughts. And it's hard. It is hard. And I think we're all struggling with this. We actually had um, an author on Monday, on Monday's show, talking about how do we get back to being kind, compassionate people? Because it's it, this circumstance has made us all a little bit be on edge. And I'll tell you one of the, cause I love the let it go thing. I'm so glad that frozen came out with a song that we can all sing the, the let it go song, uh, which I have to sing to myself and hum underneath my breath sometimes. Cause sometimes it's very hard for me to let things go. But can I tell you that over the years, the things, the thing that has helped me the most that I learned about here on autism live, cause we had her on the show, Byron Katie. Oh Yeah. Because uh, she does a whole thing that's called doing the work on something that when you're upset and you can find her books, she's got a great book, Loving What Is, which let's face it, that's that's a hard backpack right now right, <laughs> to carry. But, um, I, you know, she teaches you to look at everything and then do the flip. It causes you to have to do perspective taking. Yes. Uh, it's just like a five step process of doing the work. And I find that when I will make myself sit down to do the work on something that I'm having trouble letting go of, it works better than anything I've, I've ever tried when I'm stuck. Cause I can, I can rationalize and say to myself, you need to let it go. I can sing the song and say, you need to let it go. I, sometimes I still can't. I'm just like three seconds later, I'm like, but I'm still mad about that. But the, the work helps me to, you know, so Byron Katie, and we've had her on the show. She's kind of amazing. She is. I, I know you really like her too. Yeah. Yes. And she's done a lot of work with the autism community. Um, both, yeah, that's, that's good to know. Both with individuals on the spectrum and with caregivers um, and with spouses and things like that. She's done a lot of work. And um, I want to give a couple of shout outs to some people who've been writing in before we get too far into the show. Uh, I want to say hi to Um, and uh, she says, hi, Dr. Dream, just asking, does Florida have card and good resources if I think of moving? And I, I just want to make sure that we talk about the fact that there is card, the Center for Autism and Related Disorders, and then there's another card in Florida, and people are confused about it all the time. And there is card in Florida, but there's another card as well. I don't know if you want to discuss that. Sure, sure. So we, yes, Center for Autism Related Disorders, our company card, does exist in Florida, but it's only in a few locations. Um, it's, I think it's in maybe two or three locations. We are trying to expand in Florida, but we only have a couple of locations right now. Um, and you can find those on the website, on the card website. There is, as Shannon said, the Center for Autism and Related Disabilities which is part of the Florida University of Florida system. And they generally don't do ABA. They generally provide information and do other things. So not to be confused with that. Um, and, but there are also other resources in Florida. I recently was looking at an, another a company and there are actually a few other ABA companies that have developed in Florida and they have like many, many clinics. I honestly don't know much about their programming and, uh, you know, if their ABA is good, not so good. I don't know, but there are a lot of uh, other providers in Florida. 
Okay. But I do want to say just in general, you know, there are some states that are really well established with their autism and that and has infrastructure and the state is on board and there's funding. And then there are states that are like up and coming. And then there are states that are like, you know, starting to, to get there and states that are still in, I, I would say circa 1993, yeah. but hopefully we're all moving. I, I would not classify Florida as one of the states that's well established I would, I would classify it as one of the states that's just really starting to get themselves to the point where they're about to be emerging. Uh, would that be fair? Do you agree? I think that would apply to public funding like Medicaid. Yes. It's newer in Florida, but I don't think... The thing is, Shannon, that Florida was actually the very first state that developed the BCBA credential. Really? Yeah. So the BCBA credential came out of a group of people in Florida at the Florida Association for Behavior Analysis, where they thought, hey, we better like develop some credential that the rest of the world falls into. And that would have been all the way back to, I want to say, early 2000s. Wow. So, yeah. So over 20 years ago. And it was a long time before anyone out, any other state kind of adopted the BCBA and said, you know what, this is the, the BACB actually started in Florida. Okay. So that in terms of quality ABA, they actually have a few really good university programs and that sort of thing. In terms of providers being out there for autism, I'd say, you know, part of the reason is that um, there wasn't good public funding. It was... Right later than some other states but currently i believe there's a lot of growth in florida for aba because of the fact that there's now medicaid and all these other also commercial payers very good well that's good to know and good to hear uh 619 poker king has written in and said that they have 11q jack uh jacobson syndrome with high functioning and a heart condition, and they want to know if working at a casino is a good thing. Yeah, so Jacobson syndrome is, as far as I know, um, on its own, it's basically deletion of, of several genes on the chromosome 11. Um, and it has a bunch of symptoms that go along with it. Uh, sometimes there's delay of speech, sometimes there's motor delay. But a large percentage of people with Jacobson syndrome also have a, uh, another syndrome that involves, uh, over, it's a bleeding syndrome. Basically, it's called Paris Trousseau syndrome, and it means that you overbleed, right? And so that is the dangerous part of J- the Jacobson syndrome, but it's in a, it doesn't necessarily affect everyone. It affects the majority, but not everyone. So I don't know if 619 Poker King also has the Paris Trousseau syndrome. Um, That you need to have, as far as I know, regular uh, checkups and be very cautious about. Uh, It doesn't, Jacobson syndrome or Paris Trousseau, they have nothing to do with uh, your heart condition. So let's talk about that for a minute. Your heart condition on its own, I can't, I don't know, honestly, because I know that a lot of people who work in casinos, they get used to the sounds of a casino and they get used to the uh, kind of chaos and fast pace of a casino. Whereas uh, the rest of us, I don't know about you, Shan, but when I go into a casino, just the ding, 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 ding sound is like pretty disturbing until you spend a day or two there and then you kind of start to like ignore it. But I would imagine that that would keep you at a heightened uh, level of, I don't know whether it's like your heart working too fast or it's anxiety. I don't want to call it anxiety, but you definitely will be kind of, you'll not be able to relax in that environment. Let's put it that way. Um, Maybe heightened agitation from that noise. And so I don't know that that's the best environment for someone with Jacobson and, and a heart condition. That's the more important part of it. Um, I'd say you probably want to just make sure that at, 
if you're going to continue working there, make sure that you get lots of accommodations, uh, breaks where you can go to a calm, quiet area and calm yourself down. Maybe you want to make sure that you are monitoring your heart condition, monitoring your heart uh, beats and your blood pressure and how you're doing. Um, I think they wrote back in. Yes. Uh, there to be, yeah. I had the bleeding when I was uh, little, but doing okay now, Ms. Doreen. Uh, I notice uh, special needs workers um, there to help with job coaching. That's great. Um, I mean, it's great to get the job coaching and just make sure that if you're feeling very nervous or anxious or agitated or, uh, you know, if you need to leave and go relax, do that. Make sure they give you that accommodation. They allow you to do that on regular time every hour or so. And if it gets to be too much, then I think you, that's when you have to decide to find something that's uh, better for your health. There you go. And clearly, I'm guessing that you're somebody who really likes, uh, when you name yourself Poker King, I'm guessing that you like the casino environment. But I also know that there are, not all casino environments are the same, right? In Vegas, it's, uh, you know, like, I can't do it. I, I, I'm like five seconds, I put two quarters in and I go, okay, let's go look at the dolphins. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm like all about that. Let's go see Mystere. Let's let what, you know, what do they got Cirque du Soleil going on? I cannot yeah. be in a casino. Plus, which there's the smoking thing. I can't be in the smoking thing. Oh, that's true too. I can't, I can't do that. Um, but then, you know, there are other casino environments that um, there are casino things that just go to different like high schools and put together a casino night. And there are casino pe workers that go and do that. There's no ding, ding, ding. There's no high pressure. They're not really paying for real money. You win a coffee mug. You know, uh, I mean, there's that. Yeah. I enjoy that. That's very pleasurable to me, but I can't do all the other stuff. So, you know, figuring out what works for you. Uh, I also want to say to Dilly, Dilly wrote in and said, I share this show in our Blue Butterfly Support Autism Support Group for info. And they said, thank you very much. Well, Dilly, thank you. It's that kind of um, outreach that we're looking for, that grassroots marketing. When If you find something that you like here, if you share it with your group or other people, that way other people can find it. Nothing makes me sadder when somebody says, I just wish there was a place I could go and ask an expert. And I go, oh, we have that. We have that. And, it, and they go, well, it's probably too expensive. I, no, no, it's free, you know. But if people don't know, then they don't know. Uh, Carol has written in and said, my son is 13 years old and has been putting foreign objects in his ears. I assumed he is bored and uh, needs this extra sensory input. He likes to put the volume of his iPad so loud and scratch his ears after We've been in and out of the hospital to get it removed because he needed to be sedated for this. Badly need help, please. Send yeah. me a hug, Carol. Yeah, yeah, definitely, Carol. That's a tough one. Okay, a couple of thoughts. One is, this is very unusual. So it is not a, a common thing for a child on the spectrum to be putting foreign objects in their ears. Um, so let's, let's try to notice, let's, Sometimes we make assumptions that our kids do these things as part of the autism. So let's not do that. Let's just figure out why he's doing this. I don't know if it's boredom because his symptoms are very uh, focused on the ears, right? So I would do a few things. I would first of all want to make sure that he doesn't have an ear infection. Mm -hmm. um, I want to go and see the pediatrician and make sure of that because usually when I see stuff like pulling on the ear or doing, you know, just pressing the ear and that kind of stuff, it's usually it's, it's either an ear infection or it is um, allergies. Now, this is also mm -hmm. very important because it, especially because I think you said he is scratching his ears. Mm -hmm. That could be an allergy. So I would want to talk to his pediatrician, make sure it's not an ear infection. If it is, they'll give you an antibiotic. If it isn't, you need to ask for allergy medication, um, which will help reduce the itching. They might even give you drops for his ears. Make sure his ears are clear. Sometimes the kids have wax buildup. 
just make give give his ears a good checkup. Okay. And then aside from that, the other thing I would do is I would get him a pair of noise canceling headphones. And I think a lot of our kids really love those noise canceling headphones like Bose or any other ones that go over the ears. They completely cut the entire ear and they're super cool. I know I love mine. Let me tell you, once you've had one, you just can't do without it. They're incredible. And they just shut out the entire, every other noise outside and make sure that he has regular periods of time. Now we don't want him having it on at all times because obviously he has, it kind of blocks you out from the world, but give him periods of time where he is allowed to use them and has access to them, that'll help calm him. Um, I see that uh, it was not an ear infection. I think I see Carol wrote back, Pedia and ENT has been aware of this. He can't tolerate headphones either. That's an easy one because you can teach him to tolerate the headphones gradually. In other words, you put the headphones on for like literally five seconds and reward him with his favorite treat. Um, and then make it 15 seconds the next day and 30. And that's how we shape behavior through ABA. Uh, that's kind of the best thing you can do at this point. If you had an ongoing ABA team working with them, I'd say you need to break this habit. Sometimes these behaviors become like a habit. Um, and also, so I would say you need to like block the behavior. Now, I do want to say one other thing, which is sometimes our kids start doing something and then we attend to it. Obviously, in this case, you had to attend to it because he's putting objects in his ears. Um, and then it becomes an attention-seeking type of behavior. In other words, the child realizes, hey, whenever I do this, they really give me a lot of attention. And they take me to the hospital and all this stuff happens. And so we need to... In short, and I know what I'm saying is not easy, Carol, because like I know we all have a life and we're doing millions of other things. But the way that it works is that you need to get that message out of his head and put another message in there, which basically means you cannot allow him to do this. And let's say over the course of one week that he is prevented, blocked from doing this, which means somebody's with him at all times. During that week, you have him do other things where he gets the same level of attention and kudos and treats and so on. That other thing that you're trying to build could, for instance, be putting on the headphones. So what you're going to do is you're going to try to replace the attention and, you know, fuss and everything from putting stuff in his ears to putting headphones on. And again, uh, look into the idea of possibly an ear, um, an allergy, uh, because that's the only thing I can think of that would be causing him itching. Um, and it's a hard one. It's a tough one. But what I want you to know is that it's not a common one. It's You're probably maybe the first or second time that I've heard that in, in all the years that I've worked with kids. Um, putting stuff in the ear is not that common. Okay. And just always wanted to, I want to remind people that um, these kinds of interventions that Dr. Grant Pichet is talking about are really wildly effective, but it takes a great deal of time and patience great and support. Deal. And if you, you know, there are rare people who can do it on their own and, you know, God bless them. But most of us, and for, if you're new to the show, you know that my son was uh, was a kiddo on, on the spectrum, diagnosed on the spectrum. I found that I needed to have help and support to do these kinds of interventions. And so that's why we talk about good quality ABA, that a good quality ABA provider can help you to work through that intervention. If you don't have access to that, and please try to see if you have access to that, because more and more people have insurance that, that covers that. Um, you know, especially here in the United States. But, you know, if, if you're going to take a week where you're really going to target this and, and work on changing that message, as Dr. Grampiche said, you know, reach out to family and say, can somebody, you know, help us out and be here and, and do this with us? Because you're not going to be able to, 
unless you're Wonder Woman and are able to, you know, do something where you don't sleep for an entire week, um, and you really, as she was saying, got to make sure that he doesn't have the opportunity to do it, but has other things that are rewarding for him. It takes a lot. It, I always say it takes a village. It does. So it does. Don't, yeah. Don't I think. See, yeah, sorry, Shannon, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. I was she just saying that I see she wrote back. Yeah, Carol wrote back and said he likes the vibration of the loud noise in his ear. That's why he scratches. It isn't, isn't it amazing that there are so many reasons that our kids uh, develop behaviors and, you know, we forget to consider those things. That's an absolutely very valid function. It is, I do have a lot of that. I do have a lot of kids doing a lot of different kinds of things because they, they like the sensory aspect of it. That means kind of the, the sound that it makes. In fact, you have a lot of kids kind of just doing this because they like the change in sound and the vibration. Um, I, I don't know if you are able to access, I don't know if, if we have auditory integration training anymore, Shannon. Yes. Uh, if if yes. you can access that, that might alter things for him in terms of sound and what he hears. And that might actually change his need to hear a vibration. But the very first thought that comes in my mind is that, you know, if you can, even for a very short period of time, have him put the sound cancel, the noise canceling headphones on and allow him to play sounds that are like vibration sounds, like um, monks chanting, those types of things. Mm -hmm. You might love that so much that you'll be able to replace the scratching and the stuff he's doing. He's probably actually putting stuff in his ear because it makes what he hears kind of different, you know? So I would really try to focus on replacing that sensation with a sensation that is more, I guess, adaptive or acceptable or not harmful to him. Yeah. It, since it's vibration, Dr. Grampuchet, would we ever, like, they, they make those, like, um, there's little, little um, what am I trying to say, toys and things that vibrate that are sort of like electric toothbrushes, but they can, you know, kids can vibrate their gums and stuff, but they can also vibrate their head yeah, too. Is that yeah. something? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would try a whole bunch of things like that, Shannon. I think that's that's the way to go. I mean, at this point, honestly, anything that gives him the sensation of vibration around his ears is going to be better than putting objects in there. That's for yeah. sure. Or creating noise that's so loud that it takes away his hearing later on in life. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, thank you for writing that in. I also want to point out that our Poker King wrote back in and said that the sounds of music and the sound, the ding ding sounds in the casino are actually soothing to him that it does give him that input. So isn't that interesting? Okay, I want to get to Pretty. Pretty says that um, they said, hello, Dr. Doreen and Shannon. How do you teach a child advanced emotions like embarrassment? She wants us to know that she is a skills user, uh, but she wants to know what are the prerequisite skills required to teach this advanced emotion? Uh, this is a great question. I love this. Thank you. Yeah, wonderful question. You know, emotions are, it's a really long series of lessons and skills, and it gets to a very advanced uh, point. So an embarrassment is a tough one because that mm -hmm. is one that you got to even, like there's so many typically developing adults that need to work on that one. Um, <clears throat> because embarrassment is one that produces so many defense mechanisms that we don't even want to admit to it. But essentially, I think teaching emotions, you start with just uh, uh, identification of emotions by facial expression. So it's essentially, you know, show me happy, show me sad, show me all those types of things so that the child starts to and you start with pictures, I believe, and, and so that it's much more kind of clear. Um, and then you do three-dimensional, like just identification of what it looks like, not what it means, just what it looks like. And then you start matching that to uh, cause. So by this point, the child would have had cause and effect lessons. And so now you're going to start looking at 
what are the things that actually make you feel a certain way. Uh, so if you fall off a bicycle, so like a picture of a child falling off a bicycle and then crying. So how does she feel? She's sad. Why is she sad? Because she fell off the bicycle. Um, and then those become more and more, I guess, um, uh, not so clear, like more inferential is what we call it. So there's like, you know, a teacher in a classroom is looking angry and then there's sad, there's a sad child in the classroom and you'd have to say, how does this child look? And obviously you're not good at identifying the facial expressions of sadness. So it's sad, but why? And you have to be able to infer that it's probably because the teacher yelled at them because probably the teacher looks kind of angry. So it's got to have to do that. So that's how you start going into kind of advanced emotions. At the same time, anytime an emotional reaction occurs, you have to sit down with the child and describe, like label the emotion, talk about what caused the emotion in them, talk about what they can do to overcome the emotion or allow them to feel it. Like, because during regular life, they're going to have a bunch of emotions, right? They're going to be feeling, you know, happy, sad, left out, even embarrassed. And those are the ones that you point out as they occur. But a lot of the work that we do usually with um, emotions, um, we use these really amazing pictures that you can purchase that have uh, you know tons of different situations leading to various emotions. I do want to tell you that generally speaking, individuals on the spectrum have a hard time identifying facial expressions that have to do with emotions. So keep that in mind as you're teaching this. Initially, it's got to be pretty exaggerated, and then gradually it can be more like, <clears throat> excuse me, what you see in the normal world. I so I have a crazy question. I want to yeah. know. I want to know what what it is that they're wanting them to be embarrassed about. Also, um, a very good question. Because um, you know, for for a caregiver to ask that question, I wonder if the problem isn't actually something else. That's like true. If, is there something that you're wanting this individual to stop doing? And so you're thinking, well, if they would be embarrassed by it, they would stop doing it. Because there's always there, what I've learned over the years from you is that there's more than one way of getting where you need to get 100%, to. 100%, 100%. Changing clothes. Yeah. yeah. So so I'm imagining pretty then, are they taking off their clothes in public? Is that what's happening? Yeah. Um, Let us and, know. Because changing clothes in itself is, is okay. Sometimes, and that's such, I'm so glad you asked that, Shannon, because sometimes we're embarrassed. Right. And I don't know that you necessarily want your child to be embarrassed. There are a couple of things where embarrassment is adaptive, uh, like, you know, like getting naked in public. That's a really good example of that. Yeah. So pretty, let us know what you mean by changing clothes. Yeah. Because, right? if it, you know, I mean, I think almost everybody I know that has kids on the spectrum have gone through that really awkward phase where, you know, they were these cute kids and they would sometimes take off their clothes in public and we all got through it. And it was, it was like, Oh, you know, got to take care of that. But then all of a sudden they get to a certain age where it's no longer cute. Uh, the really good friend of mine who her teenage son came out of the bathroom with his pants off and there was an elderly woman going, it was like at an IHOP. Can you imagine? Yeah, oh. And there was an elderly woman go and he looked like a teenager. And this elderly woman, it was like the end of her existence because yeah. uh, she thought that there was this grown man flashing her. Um, and the mom was like, oh my gosh, you know, he's got to learn this, right? Because at a certain point, it's no longer cute. Then it's a problem. Then it's like police officers involved. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and I think for us, Dr. Grampiche, we think, okay, well, I need to, you know, help them to understand that they should be embarrassed about it. But the truth of the matter is, is we could bypass that and just give them rules, right? And say, here are the rules and, 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 you know, and for older kids or kids who are a little bit more advanced, we can tell them what the consequences would be. Yeah. But, but, you know, I can remember explaining this to my five-year-old and saying, you know, we, we only take our pants off in a place where the door is shut, yeah. you know, 
and that nobody else that we don't know that isn't mom or dad are with us. That's the rule. That's That's the rule. And, and he, you know, he was, some people are this way, not everybody, but he was somebody who was like, Oh, that's the rule. Then we don't, then we don't do that. He didn't even at that point, didn't need to know why he just was like, Oh, there's a rule. Um, Pretty has not written back in. Pretty is, are, are they taking off their clothes in public? I'm going to go on to something else and then we'll look forward to you telling us pretty. Uh, okay. So this is one of the other questions I promised I would get to. Uh, Dr. Doreen, I've been listening to your podcast for a while and I'm almost depressed that it wasn't around when my son was small. Oh. He's 19 now and I'm starting to feel regret that I never tried the interventions you talk about back when he was first diagnosed. Mm-hmm. I think, I think I put all of our eggs in one basket with the school therapies um, that they did uh, OT and speech. It says that they did some ABA too. My question is, where can I start now that he's 19? How would I find someone to help us? And they are in Worcester, Massachusetts, central Massachusetts. Is there a registry of doctors that can help? Do we start with a gluten-free, casein-free diet? I know you can't give individual advice, but in general, is that where people should start? And thanks so much for any input. Also, Shannon, I lost you there. I'm not sure if others can. You're frozen, but I'm not sure if I am. Uh, Trayman, could you let me know if I should keep going? Hoping. Oh, there you are, Shannon. Yeah, my internet went wonky. I couldn't tell you. So did you hear the question? I did. I did. And I think I can help them kind of guide them generally go through the process. I think it's not, I mean, I think you do a series of different things and you don't have to go sequentially, but it is important to, uh, I I would get on a website called, uh, uh, what is the Mapped Doctors website, Shannon? MedMaps. MedMaps, yeah. Um, yes. I would so, go on MedMaps and look for uh, doctors who are in your area. Um, and they are the doctors who will help you uh, learn about the various diets and whether or not your child needs to be on a diet. Now, not everybody has reactions to these to foods. Uh, it would be important to try to identify if he does or does not, because it's not an easy thing when your child is a teenager, 17, 18, I think you said, uh, and trying to get him on a, on a diet. It's not easy. So I would say that's where, you know, get in touch with a doctor. I know that there are many in Massachusetts, really good ones. So you can find out if your child has biological issues, biochemical issues, that need to be handled and, and uh, treated. Um, second thing is, I guess I would, uh, CARD does have a, a center actually, I believe very close to you or in Worcester. Um, so I would definitely get in touch with an ABA agency near you um, and ask if they work with adults. Obviously CARD does, I don't, others do as well. I would get in touch with an uh, applied behavior analysis, ABA, you just look that up, ABA online and see what you find in your neighborhood, in your area. Uh, there are so many organizations now that provide ABA. I think it would be very helpful. You're not gonna get, and by the way, there's no age cap on ABA and there's no age cap on the funding. Your health insurance covers this. So you should be getting Uh, some help through your health insurance, which essentially for an adult, it would be a variety of things. It's like, um, you know, learning how to uh, take care of his own uh, hygiene needs, uh, learning daily living skills, like, you know, producing a sandwich for himself or so on. If he's higher functioning than that, it would be Uh, working on some vocational skills that would help him actually with a job. If he has has more issues, it could be even things like, uh, you know, learning how to communicate with others. So yes, all these insurances uh, will cover this type of intervention. And I would really 
strongly suggest that you look into a combination of, this is kind of what I would do if it was my child. I would do ABA, but I would make sure that the child is medically stable. Wonderful. And I'm just going to throw out there that there, there is a group of um, caregivers, most particularly moms in that area that um, are very on it um, where, where you're at. And you're in a hub of where there are providers. And um, I almost want to say there's more programs for training BCBAs in the area that you're in probably in the rest of the world. Um, Endicott College in particular has a program and they do seminars where if you went to one of those and they're usually free, I know I went and spoke at one before COVID. If you, if you were to go to one of those events, you would meet a bunch of moms who are really keyed into the local services and almost all of them have kids that are the same age as yours because they've been in it for the long haul. I think you'd find lifelong friends. You'd find friends for your son you'd find some peace of mind and they would help fast track you to get the things that you need in that area. So I would look at Endicott College's schedule of what they're doing for events for caregivers. Um, I think they're almost always free and it's very close to where, where you're at. So good luck. Let us know how that goes. I want to pivot back to Pretty for a second. That um, Pretty says that it's because he's not feeling shy to change his clothes in front of us at home and that he's nine years old. So she wants to cultivate it, that in him, that even in front of the family, that he understand the rule that he needs to, that there's no, uh, there's no inhibition is really, I think what we're saying here, that it's just, it just happens. And he's not understanding that at nine, the rules are changing and it's time yeah. to take it elsewhere. Yeah, and you, you totally nailed this one, Shannon, in terms of like, it's not really about teaching him embarrassment. It's about giving him a rule right now that, you know, we don't change our clothes in front of everyone. That And that's the rule. And so you can have a, someone who's your caregiver helping you in your room when it's private, but just teach him every time he's changing his clothes, step one, look around, is anyone else there? Is it my caregiver? That's okay. Is it anyone else? This is not okay. It's really there you go. Yeah. And if you think about it, it makes sense, right? When they're babies, we change them here, there, everywhere, oh, right? Then when they're toddlers, you know, there's we think nothing of changing them in, in the middle of the, the, the living room. Yeah. And, and, and then even cool. later we have them put on their clothes in the living room in front of us. So, you know, it's like he's progressed. We always used to make a big deal. Whenever there was a birthday, we'd go, okay, new rules. You're five yeah. now. That means you can go in the refrigerator by yourself. Oh, and, wow. and you'd be like, what? Um, you know what I mean? And, and even <laughs> now, you, you know, yeah. he's, he just turned 18 and we sat down and we went, here are the new rules. Now that you're 18, we don't get to tell you anything. <laughs> He loved that. Um, so it's we made it exciting. So you can totally get this. That is so um, cute. Well, it is what it is. Um, Sarah has written in and she says, Hi, Dr. Doreen. I will be moving to Chicago uh, from the United, United Arab Emirates soon. I would like to know if a diagnosis from a UAE qualifies for services in the USA or do we have to get in line to get it again? She wants you to know that um, if not, are they able to pay for a private diagnosis in the USA and not have to get in line? Which I think that's two separate questions. And that they will be getting their insurance through Cigna. First of yes. all, welcome to the States. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, I will tell you that most... Uh, insurance companies and this is all really about your insurance so most insurance companies will require a diagnosis from a u.s uh licensee so uh if the person in uae who diagnosed you also is licensed in the u.s then you're okay if they're not then very likely you'll need to get a diagnosis but here's how i would go about it as soon as I would probably check with Cigna first, I would just get in touch with Cigna and say, here's my diagnosis. Will you honor this or do you need another one? Um, let's find out first. If they say they need another one, they will give you a list of doctors who are able to provide that to you. Um, it's not so much 
paid or insurance because we as doctors get paid pretty much the same whether it's private or it's insurance and I don't I personally don't make two separate lines. You're not allowed to do that, right? You're you're supposed to take your patients as they come and it doesn't matter what their payment source is. So uh, you know, there's a lot of people who diagnose if if the ones they give you are putting you on a wait list, then keep, you know, call the next guy and call the next guy because you don't really want to wait for that. Um, I would offer to help you, but I'm not licensed in Illinois. Um, I'm licensed in 10 other states. So um, I'm not sure I might be able to try to see if you can get someone from Cigna who is able to see your child and be able to help you. But if not, uh, I might be able to use my, my telemedicine privileges to uh, help you with the diagnosis on Zoom. But uh, try first to see if you can get someone local to actually see you in person. But there are a lot of places that diagnose there is a line because there's a wait. Yeah, I know. Uh, it takes a while. And, and yeah. it takes a while to get the reports and do all that. So can it, you know, I would, I, maybe you already know the answer to this question, Dr. Grampichet. Um, sometimes with insurance, they don't give you good answers until you're already a client. So I don't know if you're going to get it before you come or whatever, but I would say if there's any way to get in the line now. Um, That's you know, another really good point, Shannon. It's like, yeah, put your name down now with whoever is going to be close to you, which you can find out online, right? Who's a physician or a psychologist who can diagnose. But I would honestly, first of all, get in touch with Cigna. Because like even the person who's going to give you, actually, you know what, all, all you need is a diagnosis. You can get your pediatrician locally to do that. They're not going to give you a report. They're just going to give you a diagnosis. And that's pretty much what Cigna usually needs. They don't need a huge report. They just need a, a physician or a psychologist to be able to say, yes, this is autism. Okay. So would she, but she needs to do that in Chicago. No, she just needs to do it somewhere in the U.S. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Uh, you know, there there was a big news story, since we're talking about this, there was a big news story this last week. I don't know if you saw it, uh, Dr. Grampichet, but a very famous actor, Wentworth Miller, oh, yeah. was, was the star of Prison Break, came forward and said that he had first had someone suggest to him anecdotally that maybe he was on the spectrum then he read a whole bunch of things. He said, I went through this process where first there was an informal diagnosis, then I self-diagnosed, and then I went through the process to get the official diagnosis. And what was really particularly interesting, and I think healing for, I think, the entire world to hear, is that here's Wentworth Miller, who probably has money. You know, I don't think he's hurting or standing in line at a soup kitchen. And, and he probably has contacts and a certain amount of privilege in this world to be able to call somebody and say, hey, I need to get in for an appointment. And he said, I found this process to be exhaustive, expensive, and not user-friendly for somebody who's coming saying, I have issues with something, and, and it bumped up against the things with issues. Um, so I don't know if you could speak to this a little yeah. bit. Because, and he was saying, and I'm an adult. I'm not five years old. And yeah. I'm an adult, and I'm able to, you know, able to be on a hit TV show, but I had a hard time getting this. Um, yeah. And we have, we get email every day from people saying, how do I get my kiddo diagnosed? How do I get myself diagnosed? Like what? And there is no one size fits all answer, right? Yeah, no, I mean, the issue is, I guess it's multiple different things. One is, and you know, I don't know if in, in Wentworth Miller's case, if it was a matter of it was exhausting to actually get to a point where someone saw you or if the process, once you had seen someone of receiving the diagnosis became very complicated because sometimes Shannon, what happens is that, you know, a doctor will hear, Oh, I'm getting a celebrity to come in for a diagnosis. I'm going to do 25 tests on them. Mm. That in itself is, is ridiculous and, time consuming and costly and unnecessary. Um, sometimes the, uh, the, the provider, the person who's doing the diagnosis is unexperienced and doesn't know exactly how to diagnose and they will end up doing a ton of tests that are not necessary. 
Um, so, you know, everybody approaches it in a different way. I won't really do testing. I've diagnosed people for so many years that I, I won't do testing unless the individual, it, unless it's really unclear to me, first of all, which is like, there are some times when a child or an adult are kind of um, on the sort of on, on, you know, could be one way or another. Yeah, on the cusp. And so I will then do testing uh, and or if the payer, so Cigna requires it. Okay. Otherwise doing a diagnosis for me is like an hour and I'll write a letter right then and there. Um, and so the person doesn't have to go through a tremendous wait. Now that said, part of the reason that I'm licensed in all these different states is that there are few diagnosticians I heard that certain states like Michigan, that's why I got my license in Michigan a few years ago, had like a two-year wait list. Yes. So those types of things are ridiculous. It's unheard of, you know, but it is what it is because the general practitioner, like a psychiatrist or a pediatrician or a psychologist without expertise in autism doesn't feel comfortable giving this diagnosis. Yes. It's a very pervasive diagnosis and you want to make sure you're not making a mistake here. I have in a few uh, occasions, Shannon, overturned someone else's diagnosis because they came to me with a diagnosis. They wanted a second opinion. And I said, no, I'm sorry, you don't qualify. And I will stand by that. I've also done the reverse where a like a regional center in California, for instance, would say you do not have the diagnosis Mm -hmm. And I've said, yes, you do. And, you know, I, I don't have to prove it to you. You have to, the payer, I put the burden on them and said, you want to override my diagnosis? Then show me testing. Yeah. So there's, you know, testing is kind of a way to prove. And then unfortunately, the thing with testing is that some people administer the tests incorrectly as well. Yes. Yes. So I mean... Yeah, that is, I think you're aware of the fact we just found out that in um, Great Britain, uh, for the last 10 years, they were doing testing according to a certain criteria and just discovered that they were doing it wrong. That the, 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 in the written of the test, it said that if someone scores a six or below, inclusive of the six, then they qualify for the diagnosis. And the way they were administrating it was if you got a six, you weren't included. Included it that it, they you know that it's one through six is six included or not and they were yeah. so for a decade there were people in Great Britain who might have qualified for a diagnosis and been given services and were told no you don't and I don't know how they're going to go back and take care of all that that's a ginormous mess but I yeah. think it has to remind all of us that there there is this human element to this but I yeah. want to say to you Dr. Grambuchet that I think that part of the reason why Wentworth Miller had a problem is the same reason why when people call me and say I you know I'm 27 and I would like to get a diagnosis we we have to scramble because it's like where can we send this person yeah. it's really because you can't look up online and you know there's no yellow pages that goes you know people who qualify who are good at diagnosing individuals who are on the autism spectrum like they don't it's not a resource page anywhere these are the people who diagnose adults and have expertise with it and or even if someone wants to get their kiddo diagnosed i know you talk to them about having a clinical psychologist but not all clinical psychologists have the expertise. So it's like, where do you, what do you look up? Where do you go? Everybody wants the fast track. I wish people would identify themselves and say, yeah. I'm somebody who diagnoses autism in children. I'm somebody who diagnoses autism in adults. Um, there, it's almost like you got to know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody to get on the track. Then once you find them, as you said, sometimes there's a two-year waiting period, yeah. which, you know, when you're an adult, I guess you could do that. But for a kiddo, that's tragic. Yes. Tragic. Absolutely. So, um, I don't you know, I always say this. I, I hope that we get to the place someday where there are billboards everywhere. Uh, if I ever get five seconds with the president alone, this is what I'm going to say we need. Billboards everywhere 
or public service announcements online and uh, and on television that say, you know, if you're experiencing or your child is experiencing these, da, 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 here's this 800 number where you can call. There's somebody there 24 hours a day, seven days a week who will help you get to resources. Yeah. And if that's diagnosis, they'll help you to follow through until you have an appointment with somebody. Right. This is what I want. If if Joe and Jill Biden are listening, uh, <laughs> this is what I want. Uh, but anyway, I digress. Dr. Grabuchet, I've kept us longer than we're supposed to be. I want to thank you for being here. I want to thank everybody else for being here. We're going to be back tomorrow live. You're not going to want to miss that. Um, so uh, I no time to say anything else. Please uh, be with us then. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now.